everybody, it's Dimity here with the Train Like a Mother Club. I am excited to talk race day with our two running by heart rate coaches, uh, Jennifer Harrison and Elizabeth Waterstrat. And we've got a couple people here, a couple athletes in the group. So if anyone has a question along the way or wants some clarification on something that we talked about, um, feel free to either raise your hand or um, chat in our little chat button and we can pull you into the conversation uh, because that's the fun part of doing this live. So, um, so hi ladies, how are you doing? Coaches. Good. How are you? Good. Good. What's going on? Is, is your, uh, is your, you guys are also the triathlon coaches. Is your triathlon season over, Jen? I'm sorry, Dimity, you cut out for some reason. Oh, so I was asking, is your triathlon season over or are you still racing? Me personally, yes. Yes. I think it's over. I always wanted to race more and do more, but uh, yes. Okay. It's over. <laughs> do, you, do you have any uh, fall races on your lineup? I don't. Uh, no, no running races? I Early August. So I've been rehabbing it and trying to stay off the bike a little bit. So I decided not to sign up for any races just to be, be smart for a little bit. Okay, cool. And what about you, Liz? What are you up to these days? Nothing really. Just, just stuff. <laughs> Staying fit. fit for life. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we've got a ton of questions. So this group is um, the Running by Heart Rate group. So we've got everything from 10K all the way to marathon. We also have a couple questions thrown in um, by people who are in your introduction to Running by Heart Rate. Um, so we'll kind of, I've kind of ordered them in a way that... Um, puts us from like pre-race to post-race and then kind of what's next. So, um, so the first one is kind of um, easy or not easy, but easier than some of the other questions. Um, Erica is asking, she's traveling eight hours by car to her first half marathon in December. My legs tend to swell on long car rides and I've never traveled this far for a race before. Any tips on how to manage leg swelling, eating healthy-ish and just being away from home for race day? So let's start first with um, the leg swelling in the car ride. What can she do to make sure that she minimizes that? Compression socks. This is one case where they probably will help. So getting a pair of compression socks, which you can get online or any running store. Okay. Um, do you, is there a difference between socks and sleeves or is that just a personal uh, preference? You know, if you don't need your feet to be compressed, the guy at the running store told me, you know, don't have them compressed. So the sleeves, the sleeves would probably be okay too, but I, I don't, I don't think it really matters. Okay. It's probably just whatever, whatever she can find available. Okay. Um, and I mean, eight hours by car, personally, I would say at least every two hours you're getting out of that car, but maybe even more. Yeah, I would get out of the car. If I was traveling to a race, I would have, like uh, Elizabeth said, compression sleeves or socks on or, or full-blown compression tights. Okay. Um, there are uh, some brands that make them, and I'm trying, they're escaping my mind right now, but there's brands out there that are just thicker and heavier and full compression, so I'd be in compression tights or sleeves or socks. Um, and then I would get out of the car. It's kind of a pain in the butt to travel, but just get out every hour. Get out every hour, go, you know, go to the bathroom, get some snacks, healthy snacks, and walk around. And try to walk around maybe just like 15 minutes and then kind of get back in the car, if that's reasonable with 
who you're traveling, who you're Yeah, exactly. If you're traveling with kids and a dog, maybe that's not reasonable, but <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's, you know, I mean, the, the rides, the drives that I've done and recently I notice it more as my body gets older, like I just have to get out of that sitting position and move around. And like you said, going to the bathroom is huge um, or just walking for a little while, just getting into a rest stop and taking a little walk um, feels good. Um, what about eating healthy-ish on the road? That's, that's another one that um, can get us, right? Even whether you're flying or driving, what do you guys do when you're um, traveling to a race and you want to have good food in the car? Pack. Pack snacks. Yep. Yeah. Uh, take a trip to Target and there's so many good I hate to say good packaged foods, but there's so many good options. Things that I like would be the little baggies of almonds, um, Lara bars, uh, packages of nut butter, pretzels, you know, yeah. just, just healthy snacks, a yeah. little bit of fruit and veggie if, if she can bring a cooler along. Um, but, you know, packing, packing as much as she can so that way she doesn't have to stop and be faced with all of those convenient not so good choices that are out there on the road. Exactly, exactly. And another thing to add on to that too is if she's doing a longer course, half marathon or marathon, uh, salted pretzels, just from the carb and salt perspective. Um, I have personally seen Elizabeth eat an entire bag of rolled golds, and this I don't mean snack size, I mean- This is true. Uh, this is true statement. Jennifer has done that too. And that might be before an Ironman or something, but if you're doing a half marathon or a marathon, you eat that food and enjoy it. So while pretzels in general are not healthy, they are absolutely critical with salt, uh, critical for long course racing, especially if you're going somewhere hot. So load yeah. it up. Yeah, definitely. The carbs and the salts are key. Um, and then being a home, being away from home for race day, um, I mean, is there anything that you guys bring on the road to make it feel more like home, like a noise machine or anything to help with your sleep? Or Because <laughs> we both laughed at noise machine. <laughs> no, I, I have brought things I have brought. I have brought my own pillow. Yeah. I have brought a fan. Amen on the fan. Um, I sleep with, my kids call it the snuggle snake. <laughs> so, you know, you know, in pregnancy, in pregnancy, you have the full body pillow. I never gave that up. So, I, I mean, you can bring your favorite blankie. So it, it's basically to recreate your home environment in a hotel room. Ear, my husband brings earplugs. Noise machine is a great thing. Whatever it takes for you to get good sleep, because you know, in a hotel, the pillows, I don't care if they give you eight pillows, they're all like paper thin. The air conditioner rattles all night long, you know, so you have to be prepared for those things. Totally. Totally. Do you have, do you have any, do you have a snuggle snake coach Jen? I do not. <laughs> and if I did, I wouldn't admit it here. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I don't, but I'm very, I'm a freak about noise. I needed to have like um, consistent noise. So I do bring a fan if I travel to race. Um, like a big box fan? Uh, no, you know, the ones, you know, that are about the size of a big plate. We, okay. We use them in front of our bikes, just the little yes. ones. So they kind of yeah. go in front of, or a treadmill, right? So I do travel with that if I'm going to a race situation for sure. Um, I'm, believe, I'm super picky, Elizabeth, is rolling your eyes. <laughs> Let me go chime ahead. in here. <laughs> this is, but this is also pertinent to, to, to traveling and racing. When Jennifer Harrison goes to a hotel, I can guarantee you, 
that we will not only be in one room, but possibly two to three different rooms. <laughs> because there will be something in the room that she doesn't like, or it's too close to the elevator or too close to the ice machine. So it goes without saying, if you have special needs like that and you're sensitive, <laughs> you're sensitive to ice dropping down into a bucket. Which I am. Let them know at the front desk, say, hey, I want a room on the, the top level so I don't hear people, you know, walking around or I yep. want a room in the corner, you know, away from the elevator. So <laughs> it's okay. I mean, you're, you're putting all this time and money into training. It's okay to be really picky uh, right before your race with those I little agree. things. I agree. I hear you. That's awesome. <laughs> and I got to give a props, a prop out here to Courtney, who is foam rolling as um, she's watching and she's got a little, uh, a little toddler there, probably like what, like a two-year-old maybe? Um, helping maybe one, four, four, 14 months. Oh, 14 months. Oh. Wait, 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 I'm going to unmute you for a second, Courtney. How old, how old? Oh, um, almost 10 months. I'm sorry. It's hard to tell in the thing. Oh, hello friend. She's very cute. That's awesome. Thank you for watching and for doing your good foam rolling while you're doing it. That's great. Okay. Next question comes from Elizabeth. Um, I know you talked about this recently but I struggle to get to the start line. Truthfully, I'm already anxious every time I think about it. Mantras are of little help. Any advice is appreciated. Um, so you guys must have, I mean, I think everyone has butterflies, but when it becomes, you know, really um, almost paralyzing, how do you help your athletes kind of get over those butterflies? You know, one of the things that I have said to my athletes, and, and this sounds a little bit, Hopefully she doesn't think this is too crass, but one of the things I've said to my athletes is, and to take the pressure off them, because I think it's always self-imposed pressure um, that we have of how we're going to perform or our uh, expectations. I finally started saying, and I say this to myself too, except for your, maybe your spouse or partner, nobody really cares. And I don't mean that in a negative way, because of course your friends care and everybody cares. But if you just go to the start of that line, finish, or sorry, start line, and you finish that race, 99% of the people that you associate with will think that's a huge win. Um, so it doesn't really, people, I think, put too many expectations on themselves. I've got to PR. I have to do this in X time, or I need to, whatever it is, qualify for Boston, whatever it is. And I think if you just step away, take a deep breath and realize, okay, I can do this and I'm just going to have fun with it. I tell all of my athletes and everybody else that the race is the icing on the cake. Just go and enjoy it and have fun. And, 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 and I know that's easier said than done. So I do, I do support the personal mantras and I do give athletes personal mantras. I'm like, um, even little tiny things like you can do this, you're strong, be confident, have fun. Uh, those kind of things while seem trite to some of us that might not have that anxiety it's, it's a real, it's a real helper for some of those that do struggle with it. I agree. Do you have anything you want to add, Liz? Yeah, I think what's helpful as well as what Jen said is to, um, I, I call it just jar it. So, you know, people tend to get really anxious if they're going to their key race or whatnot. And if you treat it like just another race or, or think of jar as just another run, you know, oh, it's, I like it. it's, it's just like any other run. So she might find it helpful to put on her 
run clothes that she wears in just any other run and, and bring along her water belt or her handheld bottle. This might be a case where I might even suggest if it's allowed, put on your headphones. Like just treat it like any other training day and you're just going to go out there and you're lucky because someone's going to hand you water and food every mile if you need it. <laughs> but, um, yes. but, you know, and just, just have fun with it. Just treat it like at any other day. Um, I think people can really get themselves worked up if they think about race day as being something different. It's really not. And, and like Jen said, it's a celebration. And a lot of times it's easier than the training you've done because you're fresh, you're fit, and, and you're ready to go. Absolutely. Well, and a couple of things that I would add, just um, resources that we have, Elizabeth, um, Justin Ross, the sports psychologist that we work with a lot, we have a pre-race meditation on the um, Another Mother Runner website. I will link to that in these podcast notes. Um, and I'll also um, put it under your Facebook post so you can find it easily. Um, but if you can start using that now before your long training runs and before your like key workout sessions and then tune into it, um, it might just get you into a calmer spot um, on race morning. The other thing that I find when I go to races is um, I have to remind myself that there's good energy there. Sometimes I get really, um, uh, what's the word? I, get, I compare myself too much to other people there right? Like, especially, you know, like, oh, she's going to be faster than me. Oh, he's like, he's wondering what I'm doing here, whatever. It's just, it's this mindset that I think we easily, can easily get in. And so um, if you know that, you know, if the crowds make you anxious or, the, you know, the thoughts that you're putting in your head with regard to the crowds make you anxious, like have a plan to minimize that time, right? And so, you know, whether that's waiting in your car or having your headphones on and finding a corner to sit in before you go in the corral or whatever it is. I mean, it's really good energy and everybody, I mean, the running family, you know, in truth is very inclusive and very encouraging. But I think sometimes, especially when you're in your head too much, it can be sometimes you can kind of play demons with it. Um, I know that that's something that I can do sometimes. So that's what I try to do is I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to hang out in my car for a while, just take some deep breaths. Okay, now I'm going to go there, but I'm going to, you know, go to the porta potty and then I'm going to go back to a quiet space or whatever. So listen to your pre-race meditation. Um, okay, so here, um, now we're going to go into a bunch of pacing questions. So buckle in, ladies. Um, Casey is asking, this will be my first race using the running by heart rate half marathon plan. How do you recommend we use our goal pace and or heart rate zones to manage the race? And before we get into this, um, I want to just say, all of you in your newsletters will get um, a week or at least one week before, probably two. These guys have put together a three-page document, half marathon race prep and strategy or marathon race prep and strategy. Um, so this is all going to be written out so you don't have to take notes or anything like that, but um, we'll talk through it. But just know that this is a resource available to you. Um, so, you know, uh, as we talk through it, just know that you're going to have a, a printed version of this. So... Okay, so it's her first race, uh, half marathon. How does she use her goal pace and her heart rate zones? Who wants to start with that one? I can start. Um, for, the, for the half marathon, one of the things that's really important is that the goal pace, and most of you probably understand this, but I think it bears to be repeated. The goal pace is the cumulative pace, right, for the entire race. So in order to do that, a lot of things come into play for that. And the most important thing that comes into play for that is the weather. If you're going into your race and it is unusually hot, and when I say unusually hot, here's kind of how it works. The temperature to, P, to PR to have your best race for women are in the upper 40s. For men, it's in the upper, excuse me, in the lower 50s. 
So anything that variate is any variation between 47 and 52, we need to think about. However, after our summers that we've all had, anything under you know 65 feels great. So you have to you have to put that into account. Your heart rate will be a little bit higher in the heat, and that your perceived exertion might be high, and your and your pace might be a little bit slower. So you need to manage the expectations for the weather. And that's something Elizabeth and I can help you with during your race weeks. Ask us those questions during Ask the Coach on Mondays, and we will help you uh, alter specific to each one of you some of your, your race thoughts on that. But going back to it, when let's say your goal pace is 10-minute miles for your half marathon, and, and that equates to heart rate zone three. Well, what you need to do is start off at probably 15 or 20 seconds slower than that, or even more, maybe start at 10.20 to 10.30 for the first 5K and break your race up into 5Ks. So you're kind of building. Now, in a perfect world, it's we say that we want to do that, but it's very challenging to negative split a half marathon or a marathon. So in general, you're trying to go out in that 10 minute to 10.30 range, start out, starting off slower for the first K and then building as you go and then trying to get to that heart rate zone three, or that goal pace by the time you're you're midway through and then maintaining that to the end where your your output your effort has to be harder than it was in the beginning even though the time is going to be the same and that's something that is really challenging to do but hopefully Elizabeth and I with those progression runs we were able to try to teach you guys how to do that through some of those progressively getting faster runs that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, your effort is going to improve. Your effort is going to get harder, um, but your pace is going to hopefully stay the same. That's the idea. Correct. Once you correct. hit that kind of a halfway point. Um, what would you add to that, Liz? Gosh, just, you know, taking into account the terrain. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would be it. I think Jennifer really you know, some all it. look very well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so yeah, so the three, the way that we, you guys describe it in this document is the first couple miles are slow and settle. So slow, 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 because you can't get back the fast miles if you do them too fast at the beginning, right? You can't get back that energy, correct? Right. Um, and then we go to steady and sustainable and then strong and sure. So lots of S's, slow and settle, steady and sustainable, strong and sure. But if you can kind of think about it that way, I mean, how reliant should they be on their tech? Um, on their splits or on their heart rate, um, or like, yeah, that's a how, how, how reliant should they be, Liz? I would say early on, you're using that Garmin or Pace device to hold yourself back because okay. your, per your perception will lead you to believe that what feels easy is much, it's much faster than you need to be going at that point. So use first five, first three miles or so, you're using that Garmin to hold yourself back, to check in, am I really going slow and easy here? Heart rate, you know, I'm not, I don't think you need to be extremely tied to your heart rate on race day. It will be elevated for a variety of reasons and they're not very significant. So, you know, it will be a little bit higher because you're anxious, you're excited. Um, so I wouldn't want somebody to start to, you know, have that mental chatter of, oh my gosh, my heart rate's too high and I have to slow down. Well, you're probably fine. I mean, I know on race day, my heart rate runs 10 beats higher and it's fine. Nothing bad happens. If you were in a race that lasted 10 hours, it would be something to think about. But, um, you know, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too obsessed about heart rate. So if, if you have a person who 
really get stressed out by what their heart rate is, you would want to make sure you have a screen on your Garmin that just shows pace or just shows time and pace and doesn't have the heart rate in there. So you wouldn't even have to look at it. Okay. All right. So really they're looking at pace more than, I mean, pace more than heart rate. Definitely. Um, Heart rate's more of a, just an interesting cocktail conversation, huh? (laughs) Is that what I'm hearing? On race, yeah. (laughs) On race day, on on race day. day. Yes, yes. In in training, it it tells us a lot, but on race day, there's so many variables. What if you had like an extra strong cup of coffee or, you know, what if, what if you didn't have a great night of sleep, which is very normal uh, before a race Mm -hmm. so that all of those things can elevate your heart rate. Okay. Can I okay. just make, can I just chime in and say, Absolutely. and add on to Elizabeth's point? Um, when I, one of the things that's really important in, in the urban marathons, um, and with Chicago coming up, I just felt like we, I needed to say something about it Yeah. because of the tight city constraints of the Chicago marathon and the New York city marathon, the garments are off a little bit with the pacing because they can't pick up all the satellites. Um, I had a personal experience with it with last time I ran the Chicago marathon and it's, um, it's annoying. So I just only bring it up from the standpoint of just be mindful, just be mindful and know that your paces may bounce around a little bit and it might not land exactly where you want to, but don't, to Elizabeth's point, don't get frustrated with it. Feel what you need to be feeling out there and kind of, you know, go with that, but be flexible. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Okay. Um, Melissa is running the New York city marathon. Um, she says, when I run my goal pace miles and my long runs, I wonder what that means on race day. Will I run slower than goal pace for a portion then at goal pace for a portion? Wondering how to think about it and divide the 26.2 miles in terms of pace. What I'm really afraid of is I won't be able to run at goal pace anymore by the time I'm at mile 19 and beyond. Um, I know negative splits are a thing people aim for, but I don't think I'm wired for that and I expect to slow down as the miles progress, she says. So um, talk about that that pacing as far as a marathon goes, because that's a different animal than they have. Yeah, I, th- I think you would break up a, a marathon just in 10K segments. Okay. So th- those first six miles, you're holding back and then assess how you feel, settle into your goal pace and know that you know, it, it gets hard in the last 10K for everyone. So if it starts to feel hard, it's totally normal. And just know that you're going to need to give more effort to maintain the same pace. So if you're just mentally prepared for that. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't write herself off for the negative split. If she holds back hard enough and, and paces herself well and eats and drinks throughout, anything is possible. It's certainly a negative split would be possible. And if it does feel hard, like I said, that's normal, but it might help for her to just break it up into 10 K blocks, you know, and maybe she, she takes that, that first 10 K easier. Um, I don't know that she'll do that last 10 K faster. Jen, what do you think? Yeah. Usually I hate to say it. Usually not. Um, I don't see too much data or athletes that do that, but it's never, never say never. And the smarter you are on the front end of that marathon, the better you are on the back end of that marathon. I always tell athletes um, and have, you know, the feedback from a lot of some of the top marathon coaches is you need to get to mile 13 ready to go. You don't get to mile 13 tired. You don't get to mile 13 trashed. You get to mile 13 and you're like, okay, not that you want to sprint the last half of the marathon, but, but, from a nutritional standpoint, mental and pace, effort, heart rate output, you want to get to the halfway of that marathon and say to yourself, okay, I'm ready. Because um, that's kind of when the race really starts. And everything you do from mile 
zero to mile 13 really impacts that that second half and when people say that there's a wall at mile 20 i call total bullshit on that um i really don't think that there's a wall i think people mentally say that there's a wall for the marathon and everybody talks about it so then everybody thinks and then they all get to mile 20 and they're like oh i'm gonna hit the wall soon i'm gonna hit the wall soon well yeah of course you are because we're thinking about it so the only reason that there's this quote unquote wall at mile 20 is that's when we get into nutritional depletion we get into cumulative fatigue we get into all the other ugly things that happen after two three four hours of running so if people manage their food manage their pacing it is very, very hard at mile 20, but it's not any harder than you would feel in training. So um, make sure mentally you're ready, make sure mentally you're ready to suffer. And whatever that suffering means to you, that suffering may just mean just digging deeper to get in five seconds more per mile. It may be making sure that you are walking briskly through the aid stations to get your fueling so that you can continue to run, um, depending on what your, your goals are. And don't be afraid to walk. If your goal for the marathon is to either one, finish it, two, you know, finish it feeling good or whatever it is, there's no shame in walking parts of a marathon. My only advice is if you're going to walk a marathon, you have a plan. So let's let's say you're you're running 10 minutes and then walking briskly 30 to 45 seconds um, repeat for the marathon or you're going to run to mile 13 and then add a run walk you know make sure you have a plan let elizabeth and i help you with that if you have any questions reach out and ask us but there's no shame in that and in fact the walking can reset form which is really important in marathons and can help you get the nutrition you may need especially if hot yeah, no, I like that a lot. I think, and I think having that plan is, I think that's such an important point, Jen, because I think what happens a lot of times is you like, okay, I'm going to run, I'm going to run. And then you get to 22 and you got nothing left. And then you're like, and I'm going to walk the last four miles. Right. And that's not, that's not ideal. Right. We want them to have, feel strong moving through it. So um, very cool. Well, and so quick, quick question from Susan, and then we're going to go into that suffering that you just talked about, but I just, I want to clear this up again, make sure that everyone's on the same page. Susan, any guidelines on where a heart rate should be at various points of the marathon? If my, and this is the point that I want you to talk about. If my heart rate spikes up to zones three and four early on in the race, does that mean my goal pace is too aggressive? Um, and just to kind of reiterate what you just said, but I just think it's important to drive it home. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't. And, and I would say just by the way she phrased that question, I wouldn't even, here's a person that I would say, don't even look at heart rate because if there's that anxiety about, uh Oh, what if my heart rate's in zone three to start, you know, I, I wouldn't want you to write off the whole day because of that. So just know that it's, like I said, it's heart rate is very sensitive to many factors beyond our control. So control what you can control going into the race, be well rested, be well fed, be well hydrated and just be mentally ready to tackle the day. Your heart rate is going to trend, you know, it'll, it'll, be, it'll increase across the race. The only place where I think heart rate is useful to watch is if you have a person and their heart rate's going down, 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 which usually indicates that they're just not eating enough and they're tired. So that would be the only troublesome thing that I think, you know, you, you, could, you could learn by watching heart rate on, on, race, on a race like a marathon. Okay, cool. That's, that's helpful. That's so helpful. Um, okay, Lindsay, here we go with the, um, with the suffering. She said, how can I get better at snuggling in and getting cozy in the pain cave? 
I know that the point of training is to get your body and your mind ready for the race day test. And I do pretty well holding strong in training. But when race day comes, the story my brain tries to tell me is that it shouldn't be this hard that I've put in the work and my paces should, in air quotes, be easier. And then I get super defeatist and I think this is too hard. I'm not strong enough. And, this, and the shame spiral starts. Do you have advice on maintaining perspective and understanding that hard doesn't equal impossible? Gosh, that's such a good question, Lindsay. And I think so many of us have been in that situation. So how do you accept the, the suffering on race day? That is a really good question. And it's a loaded, we can do an entire podcast. I know, right? <laughs> and I could get really excited about it. It's actually my passion on the side of uh, the coaching side. But, you know, I think with the, with the suffering, I think one thing I always tell people in kind of a joking way um, is you're not going to die. Yes. So the first thing that will happen is you will throw up and then you know, okay, I'm going too hard. I think one of the things that's challenging with athletes is that each person, their level of suffering is so different from the next person's. And I think that's why Elizabeth and I work so hard in the plans to put in hard, you know, hard means hard. But what does hard really mean? And I know we get questions a lot about what hard means and hard really means you're going hard, so hard that you can't take another step when that interval is done. I don't mean like hurting yourself. I don't mean, you know, I just mean suffering, working hard, breathing hard, getting uncomfortable. And it's important to be comfortable with being uncomfortable um, and really, really digging deep enough to do that and trusting your body, trusting the training. And there's little cues, there's little cues out there that are, that you need to be aware of. And then that's when you would yank things back. If something hurts, if you have, you know, if, you know, you start feeling like you want to throw up, those are the, those are the thresholds that we, we try to aim for and hard. Now in marathon training, there's not a, ton of that kind of stuff it's all relative to the distance that you're doing but if you can do it in training then the training like elizabeth said earlier the training is sometimes harder than the actual race so if you can force yourself to do it in training then have the confidence to know and trust yourself trust the plan trust your body that come race day you'll be able to to suffer and really it's mind over matter. Your mind has to be able to go there. So if your mind keeps telling your body, I don't want to do that. It's too hard. I don't want to suffer. The body will never go there because the mind controls what the body will do. So you have to go there saying, I'm awesome. I'm going to PR or whatever your goal is. I'm going to nail my five hour marathon. I'm going to break five hours in the marathon. You have got to believe all that before you show up to that start line or else it usually won't happen. And visualization is key to that. Visualizing, you know, crossing the finish line in 459, 50, 59, or whatever it is, and, and kind of processing that and having a plan for that before you even get there. What, what about you, Liz? Any, any tips to add to that? Um, how do you snuggle into the pain cave? Well, I just want to offer something that, that I think any, anyone who feels this way can, can find helpful. I actually, I would give this athlete some homework and what I would want them to do is maybe the night before the race, or maybe actually the, the, the day Monday of race week. So that way they can go through this a few times, have them sit down and do a success history search, or um, some people call it an epic thought list. So she can Google, Google those things and find some examples, but here's what you do. You're going to write down the negative thoughts. I can't handle this. It gets hard. And then she, she needs to challenge that. I mean, is that real? You know, does it, does it get hard? 
or you know, is she really not capable of it? And then have her sit there and go through all of her past training and come up with examples of where she was able to handle the hard or the suffering or the day where her legs just didn't want to go anymore and start to like revisit all of those successes that she had in training. She also can revisit the failures. That's important too, just to show that she bounced back from them or got through them. Um, but just make, make a list like that. And you know, there's, um, there's a famous soccer player. Her last name is Fowdy. Julie. Julie. Julie yeah. Fowdy. Okay. Yep. So I listened to a podcast with her and I believe the way she did it was she made a list called these are my lies. And the lies are all these things that you tell yourself. And then in the next column, she wrote, okay, this is my truth. And so just, just kind of sorting out her thoughts like that, because on race day, when it gets really stressful, all those thoughts are going to come rushing into your head. So if you can kind of like wrestle them before you get to the start line and, and have some things, and, and this is where mantras do work because you've already sorted out the bad mantras by backing them up and saying, no, that's not true. Or here's an example of where I, I did the opposite of that. So do a little bit of homework. I like it. I like it. Um, I just want to add a couple things just because I, uh, there's one thing that always sticks in my mind and I can't remember if we put it in a book or not, but when Sarah was trying to qualify for Boston, she asked all the people who had done that around her, you know, her local running, um, network, you know, how they dealt with the pain. And, um, the, the answer that came back resoundingly was, I think it's good. That means that I'm going to where I wanted to go. Right. So instead of saying, ouch, I don't want it to hurt, be like, yeah, bring it. That means I am freaking going all out. Like, this is what I came here to do. Right. If that is your goal, if your goal is to race full throttle, right. Again, there's lots of reasons for being out there. So it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't apply to everybody. But I really like that idea of like, wow, my legs are really hurting. And oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I can hang on. Sweet. Like, change that dialogue, like you were just saying, Liz. I think that's really great. The other thing that, um, I used to do, I haven't raced, I've put in the training for racing recently, but I, um, you know, Lindsay, you commented that bringing up visualization is a really good thing. I think it's really important to do it on the run, on those hard runs. Like I used to go through, um, run through uh, a path that had trees on either side and that was my finish line all the time, right? And everyone was cheering for me and it was just, you know, I mean, I definitely got this little story going in my head, but it was really great because I was like, this is how I wanna feel, this is how I wanna feel. I'm going all out, it hurts. And everybody can, you know, everybody's proud of me. Everybody's cheering for me. And um, so, you know, you might not have that exact situation, but visualization both on the couch or with your journal and on the run, I think is helpful. So um, awesome. Um, okay. So speaking of um, race day, Caroline is asking race day setbacks. Let's talk about the best ways to coach cope with unexpected challenges. Like, like, what do you do if you get to the race and you realize that your, you know, you thought your Garmin had, was it a hundred percent and it's at 10? What do you do? You, you tap into all of those runs where, do we call them no tech or? Yep, no tech runs. Okay. Exactly. There you go. That's exactly why we have <laughs> you do those. So you can start to associate different paces and efforts with your breathing and your stride rate and, and just how everything sounds and feels. So you should be getting a sense of what does marathon or half marathon pace feel like and, and trust that. So you've got to like dial into your inner GPS. If your real GPS doesn't work, you've got to pull out that inner GPS and you've just got to trust it. 
I like it. I like it. And honestly, you might have a better race, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know it's a big leap to not go without or to go without tech, but when I heard of people doing it, they really, um, they surprise themselves, right? Yes. Uh, um, okay. What about um, you show up and it is pouring rain or yeah. Yeah. It's pouring rain. What do you do, Jen? Well, you don't do anything. You just pr proceed as instructed. And that's why one of the reasons why I have people, I get questions a lot. And for example, this weekend, it's going to rain in Chicago all weekend. So the people are asking, you know, should I go out and run? And I'm like, yeah, you should, unless it, I mean, no storms, no lightning, safety, you know, the whole yeah. nine yards, of course, but otherwise rain. Yep. Because how many of us have, have raced in the rain? So the, in all joking aside, the things that you have to be careful about when you, it rains is you have to make sure you're warm. So you may have to change the layers or you might have to add it layers. You may have to wear a hat. You may need to do some things just to protect your body from the elements. Because um, a cold rain is not fun, but it won't mean, it, it, there, it won't change your pace much unless it's pouring. Actually running in the rain is pretty darn fast. Um, the only other thing you have to be careful of is, is wet socks, blisters, that kind of stuff. So if you are at, prone to having feet issues on the run and it's exasperated by wet, you may need to um, tuck in extra socks. I don't know, put them in your sports bra or do, I don't know, I guess they're still going to get wet, but, or put on some uh, Vaseline or lubrication on your feet to help see. you with that. Yeah. yeah so lots that's, of I would just, you know, a little bit more smarter with the planning of yes. the uh, clothing. Sure. Sure. Um, and what about, um, finally something, um, like GI distress, uh, Liz, what do you, what does she do with that? Um, in the middle of a run, she's not expecting it. You just kind of <laughs> do the best so, you can. Well, back up a little bit and sure. Make, sure, make sure in those 48 hours prior to the race or even long runs that you're really careful about your diet, minimizing fiber, minimizing, some people are sensitive to, to dairy, wheat, I don't, whatever, start, start pulling things out and seeing how you feel, but, you know, really clean, boring white diet in the days leading up to the race. That should help with most of the problems. Okay. The other part of that is making sure early on, you're really holding back because if you're just going too hard early on, that changes how you burn calories and that changes how you digest. So if you're going too hard, you're too excited, your stomach, your digestion is going to be thrown off because your body, like that gets very low priority in, in the, the scheme of things that need to be done out there. Sure. So, um, so just minimizing anxiety and pacing yourself really well. If it starts, like if, and we've all been there where you're doing the, the tour de porta potties, um, <laughs> you know, you just, you just do what you got to do. You get it done quick and you just keep moving forward. There's, once it starts to set in, other than slowing down, there's probably not much you can do to, to, you know, stop it at that point. It. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's a nice little segue into, um, the, let me go back for one second again. I just like to throw in a couple anecdotes because it's fun and I also feel like it makes a difference. The go back to running in the rain or um, anything else that kind of you can really build up in your mind prior to the race. Um, and I'm thinking back to the Cape Cod retreat last year. I mean, it was a nor'easter, a true capital N nor'easter on the morning of the half marathon. And those women, that ran, I was in the cheer squad we had an awesome time, but they had a much better time and they had such an adventure and they had so much fun. And 
yeah, some people ran really fast and really well. Others decided just to take it all in with the waves cascading and the rain coming down. And it was just like a little Noah's Ark situation. Um, But what happens, I think, once you cross that starting line, all that anxiety goes away, right? And you're just dealing with, you know, really just a fun day, right? Liz says the most amazing half she's ever done. So you know, I'm not saying that it's, you know, you, you're wishing for that, but I think a lot of times we can get so worked up in our heads about, about the weather, about things that are out of our control. And once you realize, once you start running, you're like, wait, I know how to do this. And whatever, whatever is going to be thrown at me, whether my watch dies or, you know, my intestines explode or whatever, you just kind of, <laughs> it doesn't feel as bad um, as thinking about it sometimes. Right. Does right. That it's, sense? Always, it's always worse in our own head about yeah. it, but you know, what we always say is just race the race you're given. Yeah. I mean, you know, all it's going to be, it's never a perfect day to race. It is a perfect day to race, but that always happens to be Monday morning when you're going to work. So, <laughs> you know, so race the race sure. you're given and, and yeah, you're going to, you might have some really crappy conditions, but you know what, hopefully you've trained in some crappy conditions and all summer, the heat, the rain, um, you know, so just, just, it's, it's okay. You have to give yourself permission to say, this is okay. And change expectations. If like, if it's a nor'easter and say, I'm going to have fun, we're going to make the best out of it. And we're going to have a great time. And, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, I think it's Courtney says, and please Cape Cod don't repeat last year. I'm with you. I mean, I'll, I'll bring my rain gear again because I was prepared, but, um, but yes, I, I'd like a, a fun spectating day, um, a little bit less wet. Okay, we're going to move on to nutrition. Um, and before we start this, I, um, we haven't really publicized it much yet, but I just wanted to throw out that we have a, a new program. It is called an on-demand program, meaning you get um, a PDF, you get a podcast, and you get a video. And it's with Stephanie um, Howe-Violet, who's our ultra coach, who also has a PhD in sports nutrition and science. And um, it's, it's called nutrition, or running for, nutrition for Running, colon, half marathon and marathon. And what it does is it talks through exactly what you need to do, you know, what Liz was just talking about, um, 48 hours, 24 hours, race time after your race, um, or long training runs. It's a good thing to get because then you can practice all this during your long training runs. Um, I sent it to all the coaches in the Train Like a Mother Club prior to it going up to make sure that the vice was, you know, pretty comparable to what they give. Of course, everybody is an individual situation, but, um, Jen, Liz, Amanda, Jen, Gill, we're all super happy with it. So I'm just letting you know that that's a resource available for you. It's under the nutrition files of, um, of the Train Like a Mother Club. It's 20 bucks. Um, and people who have bought it already um, have already said it's worth it um, to get their nutrition dialed in. So I mean, we're happy to continue to take questions about nutrition and hydration. I just want to let you know that that's a resource for you. So, um, so Kate is asking, um, she says, uh, she's wondering how fueling during a long run affects our heart rate. I think my heart rate spikes a bit after I eat my cliff blocks or drink my noon endurance during a long training run, but I could be making that up. Um, and thoughts, if it is, is that an issue for race day? If it doesn't, am I just crazy? Okay. Don't answer that last one she Mm. says, but uh, is there any kind of correlation between, um, taking in fuel and the hydration in your heart rate? Or is that just uh, something that's just kind of a coincidence? I, I've had athletes say the same thing. And, and even when myself, when I'm out, a run, out on a run, I take a drink. I mean, it could be something as simple as you're just doing a different movement, like you're running, 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 and then you're putting a cliff block in, which if you've had a cliff block, it requires quite a bit of chewing. Um, <laughs> or you go to take a swig of your bottle and you're just changing positions. So it could just be a subtlety like that. It could be the 
the perception of, well, here comes hydration or here comes energy. Um, I, I've, I don't think that there's anything physiologically that you have to worry about. I don't okay. think over time that it will increase your heart rate enough where you'll see any sort of impact from it. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, Brenda is asking, um, my goal for my marathon is five and a half to six hours. Um, and she's worried about hydration. I have a vest, but that's a lot of fluid to carry. Do I fill it on the course or do, or just use what is there? Yeah. You know, when, if possible, the best thing to do is always take, take the resources from the course. Um, no, you know, go over the athlete guide or whatever the marathon offers you to find out where the aid stations are, find out what each aid station is having. It's almost like a buffet, find out what they're having, what they're serving. And just to step back for a second, make sure that you're also trying to train on that uh, stuff. If you can, if you don't like it, that's fine, but try it first because it makes your life so much easier on race day. Um, and then what you would do is if you can train on that stuff during the course, you know where the A stations are, then you probably can work off of that. If you have something that's in your hydration system that's not on the course, then you're going to have to um, you're going to have to just you know run and and stop, change out the fluids that you need, get what you need at each A station, and carry on quickly. That's back to the walking with a purpose. Um, you know, refuel and go kind of a thing, but just know what every, what everything is on that race course, be educated on it. Sure. Sure. I brought, um, you know, I brought a handheld, uh, on the last marathon I did. Um, and that was nice. I had noon in that because that's what I like to train with. And then, um, and then I just drank water along the way. Um, and I put my little noon tabs, um, well, back when you used to get peanuts <laughs> on the airplane, you don't get them anymore. <laughs> but I use that little foil wrapper to put the tabs in and, you know, to stuck them in my pocket. Um, so that's, I mean, so, you know, maybe there's a, there's something between Brenda, the, you know, just relying on the course and wearing your whole vest. I mean, if, if you've trained with your vest and you like your vest, take it. But I think, you know, it's nice to have the resources provided for you. Um, Another question here, she likes, um, you know, sometimes she, some days some things work for me and, and, um, and other times they bother her stomach. She said that I can only take in so many gels, chews, and gooey stuff. Um, and I'm not sure what, to, what real food to try except honey stingers. I love those. Um, what do you do with athletes? I mean, that, that, that is something. It's called uh, palate fatigue, I've heard recently, <laughs> um, which is, you know, too much sweet or too much sour or whatever. But um, what do you tell your athletes that need a different change up to savory or whatever? There are a lot of options out there now. If she's, so if she's concerned with something being like more natural, real food, the honey stinger makes the waffles. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're solid. And the problem with solids on the run is they're really hard to digest. So unless you're going super easy, like ultra marathon pace, it is hard to take in those more solid products. But I wouldn't give up on the gels. I know that goo makes a variety of savory flavors. I think, and they might have stopped doing this. Wasn't pizza sauce one of the flavors? Or, <laughs> yes. Right? They, or they stopped hoppy, that, but yes. Hoppy Trails was another one. It was they, they have Hoppy Trails hoppy right trails. now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Power Bar came back into the endurance nutrition scene. They have a salted peanut. Uh, you know, so there's, there's options out there. Um, you, you might have to go online or go to your local running store to, to try some different flavors out, but, but I would give that a shot. Definitely. Yeah. And just to add on to that, I uh, have the same problem. So what I do is I 
they have, and not to support Amazon. So if you can support your local store, please do. But um, sometimes the local stores don't have it, but they have a variety pack that they sell for, for goo. And in that variety pack is a bunch of, is like Elizabeth said, every single flavor. So if they're sweet, savory, plain, and it's, you know, 40 gels or so. And that's what I, what I do because I need to have a different gel for every kind of workout or else I get annoyed with, with the gels myself. So I have this variety pack and pick and choose my mood that day. Perfect. Um, and Courtney adds, she finds that Generation You Can is gentler on her stomach. So that's another um, product to look into. Uh, okay. Um, okay. Uh, Suzanne, going back to, so she's running Marine Corps. So I think there's a difference between running, you know, a smaller marathon and something like Marine Corps that has what, like 30,000, 40,000 people in it. Um, she's worried about navigating her way to the aid station and slipping on thousands of drop cups. Do you think that she should just carry her own hydration or should she just, like we've talked about, power walk through the water stops? You know, those big marathons do get a little complicated, I will say. So unless that runner is uh, sub 330, that's usually the, the marker, so maybe 345. So if that athlete is, is in that range, then they'll have no problem taking from the aid station. If this runner is sub is going to go uh, slower than 330 to 345 and beyond, then I think carrying some of your hydration would be a good idea. And what happens is in the beginning, obviously, the stations are much more crowded because there's more people going through them, and, and then it kind of thins out. So I would carry your I would carry your uh, fluids if you're going to be longer than three and a half to 345. Okay, nice. Um, and then Misty was just, uh, I think we've kind of hit a lot of your questions, Misty, but um, fueling guidelines, um, again, in the um, nutrition for running, they'll go into depth, but basically the idea is you want to have about 200 calories an hour, right, coaches? I mean, that's kind of starting in the first hour, especially for a marathon. Is that, um, yeah. you back me up on that one? <laughs> yes, right on. Yeah. So All right. 200, you could even go to 250 calories per hour. Really important to start that early on. I, f I find that a lot of people, they're not starting their fueling until 45 to 60 minutes in. And at that point, you're starting to bump up against like, this is too late because it takes a while for that energy to hit you. So you kind of want to head that off. So that's why we suggest you start by mile two, mile three, you're taking in your first shot of calories uh, and then keeping on a consistent schedule. So every 25 to 35 minutes, you're taking in a gel. Some people like to take in a cliff block every mile. I think there are six cliff blocks in the package. So as long as you're going, what is that, 12 minute, 12 minute miles, you'll get through that in an hour and that's about 200 calories. So you could break it up that way too. That's great. Um, Liz is asking, does that change based on the person's weight or speed? No. No, no. it does not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's just, that's based on what you can take your body, any human body can absorb. Um, okay. So now we're heading, everyone's crossed the finish line. They're super happy. Yay. It's been a good day. It was 44 degrees and we nailed it. Um, okay. So Cassie says, um, I'm leaving directly from an eight hour trail event. Thank goodness there are showers there to the airport where I get to be in a window seat, where I get to be a window seat sardine for hours. What can I do that won't be too annoying for my seatmates so that I can walk off the plane without being detained by security because my moaning and groaning has disturbed the other passengers? Uh, yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Elizabeth. Got to go into that flight hydrated. So 
can't get on that plane until she's gone to the bathroom. Okay. And, That's a good and, point. And I mean, an eight hour, eight hour trail race, right? She's had an eight hour trail event. Oh my yeah. goodness. That's a long time. And so there's going to be some dehydration. So the reason why I say that is because when you're sitting for prolonged periods of time, it increases your risk of DBT. So the, the deep vein thrombosis. And one of the big risk factors for that is dehydration. And we all know you get on a plane, you'll dehydrate in the air quicker because the, the air is, is, it's just different up there. So making sure that she's hydrated going into that and then hydrating, even if it means you got to keep bugging that, those yeah. seatmates, that's, that's on them, not you. Um, and then, you know, getting up is for her little bathroom break, maybe every hour walking around, compression socks. Um, Jen, what else do you have? Yeah, no, that's just, that's all I was going to say. The hydration is so important. So um, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. It's almost goes back to the pre-race stuff I was just when you're say, traveling. It's, just, it's all yeah. the same. Yep. Yeah. It's all and the same. Electrolytes. I mean, we're looking, I are looking like a, like a noon or coconut water might be good because that will help her hold mm -hmm. on to the uh, hydration and yeah. not just straight up water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Noon is great. Just keep, you know, bring along a 20 to 24 ounce water bottle, pop a noon in there and, and try to drink that every 60 to 75 minutes, get up, do your potty break, walk up and down the aisle. Yeah. And noon makes a recovery tablet now. So do some research and look into that recovery tablet. Um, I have used it and I like it. I don't know if it does anything different, but check, take it, take a look at that. Tastes good. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay, so I have one more question. So if anybody's listening now who have, are participants, if you guys have questions or you want to um, talk to these guys, um, now is your time to, to either type it in or type it in and then I can either ask it or you can talk to them directly, just giving you a heads up. Um, so Courtney is actually in our um, running by heart rate introduction program. So she is not racing necessarily. Um, but she says, headed into fall whenever it decides to arrive. Um, so when it comes, when the cooler temps finally come, should we expect to see significant weather-related changes to our heart rate zones? If so, is it really a measure of increased fitness or just a sign that the weather is cooler and our heart rates are responding accordingly? Both. Both. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say both. 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 Okay. So, um, Courtney, I'm not quite sure. I, I can see you. Hello. But I'm not quite sure. Um what you've been doing all summer, but let's assume you've been training and everything's been going relatively smoothly. Smoothly, And Elizabeth will laugh when I say this because she has, uses this term all the time, is that behind all that fatigue and all that hot weather, like sweater, feel like you're running in a sweater all the time, is fitness. And once, once that weather breaks and once the cooler air comes, the heart rate decreases and the pace increases and it's like, ah, it's like, you know, yes. this amazing thing. Um, and yes, so both your, your pace increases, your heart rate decreases, and it's a wonderful thing running in the fall when the humidity breaks is one of the best times of the year to run. Agreed. A hundred percent. And it's almost worth uh, documenting how good you feel, right? Like right. either with and a picture it. or writing it down because it sometimes will help you get through the slogs, <laughs> the, the sweat, the sweater run slogs. So. Awesome. Well, you guys, this was really fun. Thanks, um, coaches, for, for being here and for the rest of you for being here and commenting. And uh, we wish you all the best in your heart rate races, in your heart rate races, in, in your races, period. Um, and of course, the coaches will continue to be accessible um, on the Facebook page. And they'll also have some office hours coming up if you have something more individual you want to discuss. Um, in the meantime, keep up all the good work and we'll talk to you all soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.